You're listening to a message from Christian Life Ministries in Coventry, a dynamic, growing church in the heart of the nation. We pray that God will speak to you through this word and impact your life for His glory. I'm just going to get straight into it. The title of my message for today is Keep Growing. I believe it's going to come up on the screen, exclamation mark and all, Keep Growing. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in one of those situations where you're talking to someone and you're telling them maybe about the difficult day or time of period or life of your life that you've been having. And maybe what they might say to you to encourage you is to keep going. And you know what? Actually, sometimes it's okay to keep going because there are times in our lives when all we can do, all we have strength to do is take it a day at a time to put one foot in front of the other to just show up. And that can be fine because God can meet us there. He can shape and develop us in those tough seasons as we lean into him. But you know, we can't stay in survival mode forever because that's not God's best for us. So rather than simply growing, going through it, we are called to grow through it. Turn to your neighbor and say, grow through it. Turn to the other neighbor and say, grow through it. You see, when we embrace growth, we become bigger and stronger to be able to overcome the next challenge. And in a short while, we're going to look at a a passage in the Bible where there was one believer uh, encouraging some other believers in a difficult season to keep growing. But how many of us are aware that not all growth is good growth? There is actually such a thing as bad growth. A weed is an example of bad growth. And what makes it bad growth is the fact that a weed grows when it's unwanted. It's a plant that you didn't intend to grow. And there are some things in our lives that can grow that we also didn't intend to grow. Abnormally fast replicating cells in our bodies can grow into cancer. Bad habits can grow into bad lifestyles. Negative thinking patterns can grow into negative mindsets that bind us. Difficult seasons in our lives, if not managed well, can grow bitterness and resentment, isolation and pessimism. The list goes on. Hands up if that's the kind of growth you want in your life. Yeah, I didn't think so. Maybe I could pray for you if it is. But I want to circle back on this idea of weeds, because the funny thing about weeds is that some weeds actually look really pretty. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. And unless you have some knowledge or understanding of the botanical world, you might look at a weed and not even know it's a weed. You just think, huh, that's a pretty plant. And I know that we have some gardening and plant enthusiasts among us who uh, some pictures are going to come up on the screen and you will be able to not only verify that it's a weed, but you'll be able to tell me exactly what it is. So we have the first one here. Everybody, what is this? Dandelion. Look at you, smart people. Okay, I'm going to notch it up a little bit. Can we have the next slide, please? Anybody able to name what number one is? It's a flower. It is a weed. (laughs) It is a flower, but it's a weed called a Canada thistle. How about number two? Oh, brilliant. It's a bindweed. uh, A bindweed. That is what it's called. That's the one in white, I believe, number three. How about, no, number two. How about number three? Anyone know what that could be? Oh, it could look like a daisy, but it's not. It's called chickweed. How about number four? 
maybe it's called a magtail, but what I have here is a horsetail. Is that what you said? Oh, look at that. Mare is a female horse. Educators, Sue. So these are all weeds. But, you know, just because something looks nice doesn't mean it's helpful. Because the second characteristic of weeds is not only that it's unwanted growth, but that their presence hinders the growth of things that you do want to grow. By nature, weeds are competitive. They steal nutrients, they steal space, and they steal the life of the desired plant you want to grow. And so it is with the metaphorical weeds of our lives. We may find ourselves engaging in things that look good and sound good and feel good, but they are not good for us. In fact, they are harming and hindering the good growing inside of us. That's pretty much been the pattern since the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. Let's be honest that some habits and sins in our lives can look good at the time, but all they yield is shame and guilt and brokenness. But if we're going to be all that God has called us to be, there are some unwanted things growing in our lives that we're going to have to address to uproot them, to remove them, and to avoid them. And the good news is, is that God is the best gardener in the world. He's the one with the strength and the power to uproot these weeds in our lives. That's what Jesus did when he died for us on the cross. He removed the sin from humanity. But the life that we receive through Jesus isn't just about removing and avoiding the bad. It's also about learning to cultivate the good. See, Jesus came to transform our identity, to change the landscape of our lives so that one day, all that will truly be found in us that is growing is good. And so the invitation from God to us is to join him in the garden of our lives, to help as he pulls out the bad and plants in the good. And every decision that we make daily is a vote for whether we want the good thing to grow or we want the bad thing to grow. And I think that grow it, going after growth is really important for us, not only in our daily lives, but also in the season of maturity and multiplication that we're going into, which Pastor Esther mentioned a little bit earlier. And so I hope we understand that maturity and multiplication means more than just more seats being filled or more souls being saved or more campuses being planted. These things are incredible. And by the grace of God, we will be able to go and do all of these things. Yet maturity and multiplication is also about who we are becoming, how it is that our souls are prospering so that we are prepared to take hold of all that God has for us, both individually and as a church. So today we're going to be focusing on 2 Peter 1, uh, verses 1 to 11, which will hopefully help to give us a good idea of what good growth is according to the Bible, but also how we can go about it in our day-to-day -day lives. But before that, I just want to quickly share um, some context that will hopefully be helpful for us before we go into reading that passage. So in the Bible, there are the books of 1 Peter and 2 Peter. Um, these are thought to be letters written to churches in Rome uh, where they were facing severe persecution um, because of their faith. They were finding it really difficult to live day to day in their lives of faith. And so Peter wrote these letters to encourage these believers, these Gentiles in these churches to persevere in the midst of their persecution and their suffering. 
And first Peter really goes on covering uh, some of the points Peter makes as to why they should persevere in their suffering. Like what's the benefit of it? And we won't go into it all today, but one of the things that he says is that by us persevering in our suffering and not only um, avenging our enemies, but more so learning to love our enemies, we actually show them that God exists, that this Jesus who came is truly transforming our lives. It showed them that their hope is not futile. And if you want to read more uh, about those encouragements, then you can go ahead and read First Peter in your own time. And then as we move to 2 Peter, um, we also understand that Peter himself was experiencing lots of persecution as well for his faith. At the time of writing these letters, he wasn't under arrest, but he knew that death for him by the Roman hands was also imminent. It was close. And this is something that Jesus has also told him he would die by while he was still with him. And so as you read on in uh, 2 Peter, you see that uh, Peter wrote this book to encourage the church. And he says, look, church, I know I am about to die. I'm about to go be with Jesus. But before I go, there are some things that I really want you to know, some things that I really want you to remember so that even when I am gone, these truths are still in you. And you hear the desperation in Peter as he writes, even in, in 2 Peter 1, uh, he says, look, I already know what I'm telling you, you already know. In fact, I know you're established in them, but I want to make it my job to help you to remember them, to keep it in your remembrance so that you can keep growing in them. And you know, so usually when someone tells you something that you already know, and you know they know you already know if you're tracking with me, Sometimes in your pride, you just want to like roll your eyes. You want like, yeah, I know already. But I think there's something profound about what Peter is trying to get at here. You know, we live in the Google era where there is so much information that we can access at any one time. But you know, often in our day-to-day -day lives, what we don't need is new information or more information. We just need to remember what we already know. Information overload can overwhelm, but reminders of truth transform. You don't need to run to Google to find the answers. You just need to remember what you already know, or should I say who you already know, which is God, who is the author of truth. He is truth himself, and his truth is unchanging and unfailing no matter what generation, society, season of life we find ourselves in, and that's why we remember his truth. You know, Peter may have died and he's not here to remind us of these things, but you know, the one who does remind us of all truth, his name is Holy Spirit, and he walks with us on a day-to-day -day basis. So don't go to Google, go to the Holy Spirit first. And so as we get into 2 Peter, before we just read, um, to give you context here, Peter also addresses throughout 2 Peter um, some false teachers and leaders who were basically uh, telling these Gentile believers some lies. And so he speaks some of these truths as he exposes their lies. So with that, um, let's read together 2 Peter 1, 1 to 11, which is going to come up on the screen. And it says, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. 
His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us great and very precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this reason, for this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, you will, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sin. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What an incredible and rich bit of scripture we have there. And I love how Peter begins by introducing himself, which makes sense because as I'd already mentioned, uh, usually these were letters written to churches and so it's helpful to know who it is that they're coming from. And Peter identifies himself firstly as a servant, which means that he submits to the will and the ways and the word of God. And secondly, he identifies himself as an apostle, meaning that he is a messenger of God called to carry the message of this powerful gospel about Jesus that transforms lives. And these truths are actually really important. These identities um, about him are really important and meaningful, uh, not only because they help us understand who Peter believes that he is, but also because it's a great counter um, like point to those false teachers and leaders that were existing in that time. You see, they weren't servants of God. They weren't trying to preach the truth of God. They had their own agendas. They weren't submitted to God. And so in introducing himself like this, Peter helps us to realize that what he's about to say, we can trust because he's speaking the truth that comes from God. And as we read on, uh, we see that begins to touch on three key areas that I believe set the foundation for good growth, not just for those churches then, but for us today. And we'll see in the next slide, he begins by reminding them of who God is. That God is righteous, meaning that he is right and he does all things right. That Jesus is savior, that he is the Messiah that died and rose again for sins. That God is excellent and glorious unlike the corruption in this world. Secondly, he reminds them of who they are, that through faith they have become children of God, belonging to God's family. They are called and set apart by God. They're not to follow their evil desires which lead to that corruption that he mentions, but they have a new way of life to follow. And thirdly, he reminds them of all that God has given them and will give them through him. He reminds them that God gives peace and grace, divine power to live a godly life. He offers relationship with him and the ability to know him intimately. This God also gives us great and precious promises, the opportunity to step into a divine nature, to conform more to his image, to be how we were made to be from the beginning. And this God offers eternal life as well. You see, what Peter lays out in just these few verses is incredible. 
I mean, who doesn't want to have access to all of these things? Transformation, great and precious promises, and so on. And I believe that if we're going to move forward uh, as the people of God, it is absolutely essential that we continue to learn and to believe and to hold on to these three key areas of who God is, who he says we are, and what he gives us. You know, every time you pray, every time you read the Bible, every time you gather together with others in settings like this to worship and to learn together, every time you step out in faith or use your spiritual gifts, you're not just doing those things because that's what Christians are supposed to do. You're doing those things because those are opportunities to be reminded of who God is, of who you are, and what God has given you. And it's in view of this introduction from Peter that we read on and see that Peter asked them to respond to these things by seeking to build up their faith, or to build on from their faith. And he points out seven key qualities that they are to grow in, goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, mutual love or brotherly love, and ultimately love, which is distinct from brotherly love because it's that love that comes from God, that that love that is gracious and merciful, even in the presence of enemies. Perhaps it's coincidence um, that there are seven qualities, which the number seven in the Bible usually means the number of completion. But one thing we can be sure of is that these qualities are qualities that God himself possesses. And so when we're seeking to grow in these things, we are seeking to grow to be more like our God. See, we don't have time to dig into all of these qualities and what exactly they mean, but I recommend that you go away and do your own word study of them. So now we know what it is that we are to grow in, but how exactly do we grow? And to help us understand that, I want to hone in on a particular part, which I believe is the major key to growth. And it's verse 3 where Peter says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him. Meaning that as we continue to go after knowing God, being in relationship with him, he meets us there with his divine power. And so what that means is that it's not by striving, it's not by earning, it's not by your sheer will and determination or what this generation is into, which is called manifesting, where you just think it into being. It's by his divine power. Everybody say, it's his divine power. It's his divine power that enables us to uproot the bad and to grow the good. And what is actually meant by this divine power? It means, literally, the ability of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So at any one time, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are working in you to bring about this good growth. For me, that at one point makes me feel like, uh, I feel like a bit of an intervention, like, really, we need the whole Trinity working on me for me to change? But actually, when you dig deep, you realize that it's such an encouragement that I'm not doing this by my own strength. It's his divine power. In fact, Paul, writing in Philippians 1.6, put, put it like this, And I am certain that God, who began a good work in you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day of Jesus Christ. He started it, and he will finish it. He is the author and perfecter of your faith and of your salvation and of your transformation. 
He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He started it and he'll finish it. So does that mean that we just rest our feet, you know, we just relax like, oh God, you started it, you'll finish it, amen, hallelujah, I receive it. You know, while his divine power at work in us means that we can rest and trust him, how many of us know that it's very easy to cross over from the line of rest to the line of laziness? It only takes maybe like two or three episodes later uh, and your Netflix watch has become a binge. It's become laziness. It's not rest. And in the same way, resting and deciding not to do too much while God is at work in us can become laziness. But his grace should not be an excuse for us to do nothing, but a motivation that change and transformation is possible, that growth is possible. And so we cooperate with him. And that's why Peter calls us to build up our faith or to build on from our faith. You see, faith is this conviction about truth, this conviction uh, about God on the basis of our assurance and confidence of who he is, who he says we are, and what he has given us, we go on to build from that. And we're not just called to make a little effort. We're called to make every effort. He's saying, God is all in for you. Will you be all in for him? You know, there are uh, many illustrations and analogies I could have used to kind of help us understand what it looks like uh, to build on on our faith. I could have carried on with the whole plant thing because, you know, I did a little bit of a science degree um, some years back. So I understand a little bit about plant growth on a molecular level. But I thought maybe I'll just switch it a little bit. I'll bring something a little bit more captivating. Let's talk about cake. Mm, yeah, you see, I knew that would get your attention more than plants. One week post-fasting, this is how I am helping you. So, we agree that in order to make a cake, you need flour, yes? There is such a thing as flourless cakes, but I disagree that that is a cake. That is something else. Um, I called Mary Berry. She agrees that is not a cake. That is something else for sure. Plus, it will kill my illustration if it's a flourless cake. Um, but flour is like our faith. It's the base that holds the other ingredients together. And you know, just like we don't magic all the other ingredients into being, in the ingredients for growth that are described in these passages, somebody purchased them. It comes from somewhere. These characteristics come from God. And Jesus paid for us to have the ability to have access to them. And one way that we can fail to make every effort is, not, is by not having the right amount of each ingredient. You see, Peter encourages us to have these seven or eight qualities in increasing me measure. Just like when you're making a cake, you, just, you don't just add like a dash of butter, a dash of sugar, a dash of this and that. You add the full amount that is required. And in the same way, we don't just have a dash of self-control a dash of love. We need to keep increasing in these things to their full measure until God says stop. And by my understanding of the Bible, God says stop when we come to the end of our lives or when Jesus returns. But another way that we might fail to make every effort is if we're prioritizing ease and convenience. So back 
to our cake analogy, uh, we have a couple of different levels of cake makers, all with their own pros and cons. And I believe that there are some slides that are about to come up. We have exhibit A. These are the people who don't even make the cake. They just buy the cake and they say, I made the money that made the cake, and therefore I made the cake. But the thing is, sometimes you have to customize that cake once you've made it. I know I have to remove some icing, or I have these ingredients in the like, back of the box. I don't even know what they mean. And I've heard recently, unfortunately, I learned that the, the hygiene behind making some of these cakes is, uh, is not exactly pleasing to the site. So I'll make you make your own decision about what you do with that information. Then we have the second types of people. These are the people who buy the ready-made and measured ingredients. So you only have to add eggs or butter. It's convenient DIY. But I know that sometimes there's not enough mixture for the cake that I want. And I know on here it says serves 12, but really it's more like serves 6 for an adult. Serves 12 is probably for like a little toddler. And thirdly, we have those who make the cake from scratch. These are the amazing people. And you know it's going to be time-consuming. You know it might be a bit messy. It might be expensive. But the final product that you make, you're excited about it. You're like, yes, I made a cake from scratch. Look how cool I am. Now, you might think that's all the levels that there is to cake-making, but actually, there's another level. These are the people who make even their ingredients from scratch. I don't have a slide for that. These are the ones, um, as I, I basically use this point so I could share this meme with you. It says, the hardest part about being vegan is having to wake up at 5 a.m. in the morning to milk all the almonds. I found that very funny. But these are the people <laughs> that make their ingredients from scratch. And you know, that. There was a time as well where it was a bit of a trend to not even put the cake in the oven, you just put it in the microwave, which is this next slide. If it'll come up, George, if you can help us. This is the cake in the cup in the microwave. This is the expectation. What about the reality, George? What's the reality? Yikes. Yikes. And you know, the thing is, the reason why I'm talking about cakes is I'm trying to make a point that while we can compromise for the sake of convenience and ease when it comes to making cakes, you can't buy or shortcut godly growth. You can't microwave perseverance or self-control. Even their very nature of self-control and perseverance requires waiting. Sure, you can do some things to accelerate your growth, such as getting around godly people, asking for advice so that you avoid the mistakes they made. You can even have the Spirit of God helping to accelerate your growth, to know things that you wouldn't otherwise have known without Him. But ultimately, you can't shortcut or buy godly growth. Because the danger is, if we try to shortcut growth, we'll look mature, but we'll actually be immature will look like the real plant, but actually, it's all artificial. We risk becoming like those whom Paul spoke of when he said in 2 Timothy 3.5, they have the appearance of godliness, but deny its power. See, we'll look the part, we'll look great to the public, but we know what's going on in private. I know that um, recently I've probably tried to shortcut my own growth. Um, where I live, I absolutely love it. I love the space. I'm very comfortable in it. I get really well on with my neighbors. 
Um, but some disturbing events recently happened in my neighborhood that provoked a sense of fear in me that I just couldn't settle. And so I wanted to quickly go and pray to God that he would just quickly remove the situation or even that I would move away from the space. But then I heard this message um, by someone who was sharing some of the difficult uh, challenges that they've had in their life and how actually sometimes God invites us to stay in the storm, to stay in the difficulty. Sure, I could pray for the situation to go away and to be removed, but I'm less likely to learn more about God and myself in a new way if I do that. I'm less likely to learn that he's actually protector. I'm less likely to build some spiritual muscles of praying with authority and faith. These times now when I walk around, I'm speaking in tongues all the time as I open the door, get in, which is something I wasn't necessarily doing before. But in shifting my perspective, it hasn't become easier, but it has become an opportunity for me to grow in my trust of God, to grow in courage, to understand that God gives peace in the midst of fear. I've even been able to reach out to some people to pray for me, to stand with me, which is building our community together. Of course, I would still love for God to bring a sense of justice and full resolution to the situation. And so I can continue to pray in faith that he will do it. But you know, even if he doesn't do it in the time or in the way that I thought, I've decided that I'm not gonna be robbed of my opportunity to grow. You know, more and more, I'm learning that there are times in our lives where we can't gain the character that we want without the challenge. You can't just have the head knowledge about it. You need to learn through life experience. You know, it's like trying to have the certificate without doing the exam. It just doesn't work. And I'm not saying to go look for trouble or to make blatantly bad decisions just so you can grow in godly character. But what I am saying is that the godly life is not an honorary degree or certificate that is handed to you. You have to live it. And God gives divine power to live it, which guarantees your success, but you still have to live it. When all is good or when all is in trouble, lean not on your own understanding or your own strength. Lean on his divine power. Remember to not just go through it, but to grow through it. And you know, just like making the cake, we're gonna circle back to the cake again, because cake is important. Um, our journey of growth needs the right tools, the right process, the right temperature, the right time, just like when you're making a cake. And we can only know uh, what those right things are by walking in relationship with God, seeking to grow daily in Him. But you know, it might take more time and more effort to do it this way. It might be a little more messier. The expectations might be different from the reality. But the wonderful thing is that when we're following God, when we're going in his ways, in the end, the reality is always so much more better, so much more beautiful than the expectation. Because he's good like that. And his ways are higher like that. Could I invite the band to come up, please? As we come into land, Peter reminds us of the vital importance of making every effort to grow and what we can risk if we don't make every effort to grow. 
He firstly says that we become ineffective, which in the Greek word I found out is actually the word argos. How interesting. And this is about to shake your world even more when you realize that argos means lazy, unemployed, idle, not contributing to your life. What a game changer. I will say though that it had an apostrophe, so it's maybe different from the argos that we know. But we become ineffective. And secondly, you risk being unfruitful which means barren, not yielding what you ought to yield. In essence, both words add up to mean doubly or totally useless. Wow. And of course, in God's eyes, that's not what he's saying that you are. That's not your identity. Because if he thought that you were doubly useless, he wouldn't have died for you. But what it does suggest is that if we don't rise to the occasion, yes, we can still be children of God, but we won't be effective kingdom bringers. We'll be called children of light who are hiding our light. We're not transforming the darkness around us and the people around us. We're just there. Peter says that instead of remembering what we already know and living by it, we'll become those that easily forget. We forget who God is, who we are, and what it is that he gives. And you know, when we forget to remember, we neglect to grow. And if we aren't growing, then we aren't becoming all that God has called us to be. Instead, we're malnourished or weak in the spiritual sense. Peter says we will blindly wander through life because we're unprepared. And so we'll be tripping up over every distraction, everything that's coming in our way, every desire, everything that seeks to startle us. Friends, I, I don't believe that these passages are here to scare us or to make the future seem bleak to us. But I believe that they are here to remind us that seeking to grow in God is serious business. It's not just nice to grow, it's necessary to grow. But we grow not out of fear, but in response to all that God has already done for us. Because we know that even if at times things seem bleak, then the future is bright. There's so much more in God for us to take hold of. So many great and precious promises, as Peter already says. So much peace in the midst of trouble. There is eternal life to take hold of that has no suffering. There's a relationship with God to enjoy Him forever as we look more and more like Him. And all of this only begins to scratch the surface of all that is available to us. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love Him. And that's what growing in godly life is all about. It's about growing to love God more and to love what He loves more, who He loves more, so that when He returns in His glory and excellence, we'll be found ready for Him. Peter reminds us that when all is said and done, we can look forward to a rich welcome into the kingdom of God. Can I invite us to stand? I really believe that um, as I was praying for this, there are some people who, yes, that have been going through it instead of growing through it. But also I felt that there are some people who are probably feeling stuck. You haven't even moved, you're feeling like life is just a bit static. You don't know where to go. You don't know what to do. You feel a little bit hopeless. 
but there's no progress. But you know, the truth is, is that God, as we spoke about today, is the one who gives us divine power. And so I just wanted to speak a word to people, uh, those especially who are feeling stuck, that God is the one who makes a way in the wilderness, that God is the one who causes an increase. And he says that you will grow again. You will grow again. And that's not just a suggestion. It's a command from him that you will grow again. As long as you continue to remain in me, you will grow again. And so if that's you and you've been feeling maybe stuck in your life, I wonder if you could just lift up your hands for me. I would love to pray for you. Thank you. Feel free to put your hands down because I'm going to pray for you as well as praying for the rest of us. We know that we have access to this divine power that God wants to help us but I want to pray for each one of us that we would partner with him that we would make every effort to increase in all of these things that we would not be found lacking but that in this next season as we go into a season of maturity and multiplication we would say yes to that word we would say yes to God we would say yes to his power we would say yes to his vision So I'm going to invite us all to just lift up our hands. And maybe what you want to say is, God, help me to grow. God, help me to not just go through it, but to grow through it. Help me to increase in goodness and self-control and in perseverance. Help me, oh God, to access your divine power. I release every struggle, every striving, every dependency on my own strength. And I depend on you again. Just begin to express something of your own need for him. Father, we thank you. We thank you, Holy Spirit. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that you help us in all of these things. We thank you, King Jesus, that you take us on from glory to glory. We thank you that you're growing us, that you're changing us, that you're transforming us, oh God. And I pray for every single person that has felt stuck. We speak the word that you will grow again. He's making a way in the wilderness and you will grow again. You will be fruitful again. Jesus, new ideas, new seeds being planted, new growth sprouting out in the mighty name of Jesus. And we thank you for all of these things. In Jesus' name we have prayed. Amen.